2: It was just really hard to find anybody that had availability.
3: They actually have empty classrooms. Like they can't hire enough staff. You have to constantly tell them no, we're not going to have any any opening. It's actually can become kind of like a second job just to obtain that help. Sure.
4: You know, if if there's 20 people in my students' class, in my kids' class, and we're all paying say even just $600 a month, that seems like that should be enough to pay the people who care for our kids. Who you know, we want to make sure they're taken care of.
1: When childcare facilities have trouble finding and keeping enough staff, that also means troubles for families needing care for tots. The number of daycare facilities was in decline before the coronavirus pandemic hit, and COVID seriously exacerbated the problem. The number of state-approved childcare slots in St. Louis dropped by almost 890, and that's kids and families without spots. In St. Louis County, slots dropped by nearly 1,400, and that's according to data from the Missouri Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Chelsea Burkout can speak firsthand to the effects of these declines. When she was pregnant in 2020, at the end of her first trimester, Chelsea received advice to start looking for child care right away. She thought that she had more time to do so, but heard otherwise, so they started looking at daycares.
2: I was calling, you know, center after center um, and all these different providers, and I couldn't find, it was just really hard to find anybody that had availability, Um, and so I think, you know, this list of criteria that I had in my mind about what I wanted really got little down to, like, the only criteria was whether they had availability or not, uh, which is just not a good feeling (laughs) when you're a new parent and it wasn't you know, financially or emotionally, what, what I had expected the experience to be like. So we did eventually find a couple centers that seemed like they were going to have availability for us. So we were, you know, we paid the registration fees, we got in the wait list. Um, you know, I had my baby, went on parental leave, and then about a month before I was set to go back to work, um, you know, I reached out to both of them to touch base. And the, the first one that was our... Kind of most promising option uh, responded and said, you know, I, I hope that you have a plan B, <laughs> and, and it's just it's not looking like we're going to have space for you after all. And they just they couldn't give me a time frame for when they were going to have space. So I um, checked in with our other um, center that we were on the wait list for, and the same thing, they didn't have any space for us. Couldn't give me any sort of time frame.
1: It was stressful. Chelsea was trying to figure out how she could go back to work. They ended up having to rely on family members to watch the baby.
2: And unfortunately, we didn't have any family in the St. Louis region. So my parents flew in and stayed with us for a couple weeks to help do childcare. And then I ended up flying, or not flying, we drove uh, with then my three-month-old baby, uh, like across three states to go stay at my parents' place for another two weeks and ultimately wrapped up work um, at that point.
1: Chelsea and her husband ended up moving from St. Louis to Milwaukee in order to be closer to family. She said the decision was in part based on their experience trying to find childcare.
2: And it's hard. I mean, I think when I think about my village, you know, I left a really supportive friend group um, in, in St. Louis. Um, and that you know, it was also really hard. It was a trade-off, really. You know, do we stay here where we have a really supportive friend group but no family, or do we go closer to where we have, you know, established family but not an established friend group yet? Um, ultimately, I think friends were a huge source of support, but everybody else was, <laughs> was working or working, you know, or, you know, they were working, so they couldn't really help with that child care piece, and that child care piece is what we most needed at the time.
1: Childcare is even harder to find for residents outside the greater St. Louis region, a reality that Missouri Independent reporter Clara Bates found in a recent investigation. Her reporting found that child care facilities are facing huge staffing shortages and parents are struggling with long wait lists for care. And that's despite hundreds of millions in federal pandemic relief money pouring into the state. Clara joins us now to discuss this. Welcome to the show, Clara.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: As we noted in our intro, childcare challenges are not a new phenomenon. What was your tip-off for this particular investigation?
3: I think we've been hearing more in the last few years about waitlists for childcare facilities um, than we had in, in decades before, even though it has long been a problem, as you mentioned, uh, because of COVID. and. Um, the economic market other factors so hearing about these really long wait lists for parents plus some child care providers say they actually have empty classrooms like they can't hire enough staff so i think those two factors combined sort of pose a puzzle economically if there's so much demand why can't supply keep up and mm-hmm. so Just, yeah, just hearing for for the first time that uh, these waitlists can sometimes be over a year. Even if you notify a provider right when you get pregnant, it might not be enough. So that's kind of what led us down um, this investigation along with the nonprofit MuckRock.
1: And why did this warrant such a deep dive treatment?
3: For one, the legislature and Governor Mike Parson have pointed to child care this year as a priority. I think for Parson and others, it's a workforce issue primarily. People are leaving the workforce or oftentimes missing work. A Missouri Chamber of Commerce study found that the costs to the state are close to a billion dollars, I think. Um, so for him, it's kind of uh, an issue economically in the state, and one that um, not only Democrats but also Republicans are paying more attention to now, um, as states across the country are kind of searching for creative solutions to try to make childcare more accessible and affordable.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, what did the parents who are in the the most, I guess, the driest childcare deserts, because there are different degrees, tell you about their experiences and where are those deserts located?
3: Yeah, I should say, uh, desert is where there are more than three children, ages five and under for every licensed slot um, or no slots at all. So they're predominantly concentrated in rural parts of the state um, and the kind of clusters of desert zip codes that we found often mean on the ground that families can drive a great distance and still not find a daycare facility so what we heard from people in those areas is a particularly long wait time um, to get off a wait list for instance um, in st joseph we talked to a family where um, the mother had to start working on opposing schedules as her husband in order to cover childcare day and night. Um, So they kind of just passed each other walking out the door. He worked night shifts and she worked during the day Mm -hmm. while they waited to get off a wait list. And um, they were kind of just at the whims of whatever daycare facility would allow them off first. So it does restrict parental choice in that way. Um, But it's important to note that even in areas that aren't considered deserts, as I mentioned, there might be Staffing issues so that there are enough slots, but not enough staff to actually fill those classrooms. And so that can pose a real challenge in places like St. Louis.
1: Mm-hmm. And is there anything that you learned about current circumstances in those driest childcare deserts that exacerbates challenges to getting childcare? Well, I think there
3: are fewer facilities in rural areas and the cost to starting a childcare business is pretty exorbitant. Mm -hmm. There are federal funding streams, but our preliminary analysis of the data, again, with the data reporter, Dylan Bergen, who I worked with, um, we found that the funding, which came from the federal government and the state is now dispersing, like COVID relief funding, um, that actually it's not going to those deserts for the most part. And um, so we're gonna continue tracking that data as we get more of it. But I think um, part of that could just be in those rural areas, childcare providers might not necessarily have the staff and the capacity to be applying for these grants and this Mm -hmm. funding. Um, So there are a lot of challenges to starting up new facilities in those areas. Mm -hmm. Um, And when there aren't licensed facilities in your area, parents might have to go to unlicensed facilities that don't abide by the state's strict regulations, or they might have to make choices, as you mentioned, that aren't you know, their ideal circumstance, because they just have such limited options.
1: Now, in our final minute, you also reported recently about problems with Missouri's child care subsidy program. Applicants often face long call center wait times and onerous paperwork requirements. And child care providers who accept the subsidy often don't get paid on time. Uh, What steps need to be taken in order for families who rely on these subsidies to actually get the help they need and for daycare centers to get paid?
3: Well, in earlier this year, someone calling the state for help with the childcare subsidy, again, the federally funded assistance program that you mentioned had to wait almost three hours to reach a representative. There isn't great national data on this, but from contacting the bordering states um, of Missouri, the wait times are usually a few minutes. Um, In Missouri though, it's been hours. And these are people who have full-time jobs who often have to take time off work just to sit on hold to get the assistance for which they qualify. Mm I think the state is moving to fix some of their own staffing issues which might be contributing to these long wait times. Um, The governor approved pay raises across the board a few months ago, so um, the people in the department I spoke to are hopeful that that will help retain staff, but it's been years in the making of shrinking the the social services department that deals with these programs. So I think it's really difficult to catch up at this point. And Mm -hmm. it is, yeah, one of the few ways to get help if you're extremely low income and affording childcare. but it's actually can become kind of like a second job just to obtain that
1: help. Sure. Well, Clara, thanks for illuminating that and for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Clara Bates is a reporter with the Missouri Independent. You can find her recent reporting on daycare woes, both for parents and providers, at missouriindependent.com. Coming up, we'll hear firsthand from two child care providers, and we want to hear from you. Parents and guardians, how much of your paycheck goes toward daycare. Do you feel there are enough options for facilities in your area? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK or email us at stlpr.org. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. We're talking about how staffing challenges and low wages have left St. Louis area childcare providers in a tough spot, all at the same time that parents are struggling to pay their daycare bills. With me now are two St. Louis area childcare providers, Candace King, owner of beginning steps childcare and learning center. Welcome Candice.
5: Hello. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.
1: And Kristen Skibo. Faith Academy Executive Director, welcome to you as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you both for being here. Now, parents, we want to hear from you this hour too. How much of your paycheck goes toward daycare? Have you had to rely on family members to help with child care because of costs? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK or email us at talk at stlpr.org. Candice, You founded Beginning Steps Child Care and Learning Center nearly a decade ago, and you've made the decision to close the center on June 2nd. What's led you to this point?
5: Um, Low staffing. Mm. Low staffing and staff being willing to to stay. Mm
1: -hmm. And was it always this much of a struggle?
5: It wasn't always much of a struggle with staff cause, because at first I only had like 10 children where I was able to work by myself, mm-hmm. but then it became where I needed a little bit more time for myself, so I had to hire more people. Mm-hmm.
1: So the, there was some development over time then in the, in the size of the services that you were providing? Yes. Okay. And... When did it start becoming really difficult to get the help that you needed?
5: I'm going to say right before COVID.
1: Mhm. So this is about 2019-2020? Yes. Mhm. And what's behind the struggle to staff your facility, you think?
5: I think the pay, you know, um child care it doesn't pay much, so you can't offer your staff the best wages. Mm-hmm. You can give them incentives, you know, but they still have families and lives that they have to, you know, they depend on me for them to take care of their families.
1: So. Right. Now, Kristen, do you relate to Candace's story? You know, How is Faith Academy faring in terms of you know, paying bills and maintaining an employee base? So
0: our um, experience is very similar to Candace. Um, We started experiencing struggles with understaffing before COVID. And then, of course, COVID kind of brought everything to light, especially for the service industry. And um, we have been able to stay open. I have um, three locations in the St. Louis area. We've been able to stay open because we... You know, changed some policies. We closed some classrooms. We were able to qualify for a few grants that helped us to stay open. Um, but the truth is, we have um, we are down at least one classroom at each location um, because of staffing. Mm-hmm. So we receive phone calls every day from families looking for care, and if we had more staff available, we would be happy to bring those families into our centers, but the reality is we just don't have the staff for that. Mm
1: -hmm. And speaking of calls, we have Lindsay on the line from St. Louis. Lindsay, welcome to St. Louis on the Air.
4: Thank you. Um, Yeah, my question dovetails to what you were talking about. So um, my son is six. He's been in daycare since he was an infant. And at various times, I've paid up to say like eight hundred dollars a month for him to be in daycare. But um, my question is about the economics. Uh, if staff are paid so little, and the parents seem to be paying so much, um, where's the where's the money going? Because you know, if, if there's twenty people in my students' class in my kids' class, and we're all paying say even just six hundred dollars a month that seems like that should be enough to pay the people who care for our kids who, you know, we want to
5: make sure they're taken care of.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Candace, do you have any insight that you can shed there?
5: Yes. Um, and I understand exactly what you're saying. And I think that I felt that way before I opened my center. But once you get all of those kids in there and they're all paying, like you said, 500 or $600 a month, You still have to, you have overhead, you have to pay all your staff, you have to buy all the supplies, and I think you can even pay a fair wage, and all of the work that comes with being a provider, some of the staff just feel like they're not being paid enough to Mm -hmm. deal with what they have to deal with, so it's not so much that we're paying them so little, I just don't think it's, it's not even enough. Mm -hmm.
1: Kristen. On the the note uh, that has to do, I guess, with ratios of kids to caretakers, can you speak to that, um, and in particular, what that is with infants that you're caring for?
0: So um, the ratios that we operate with are um, one to four, so one teacher to every four infants, and then um, toddlers is one to eight, or one to 10 and then preschool age children is one to 10 and then as they get a little bit older it can be one to 12 or one to 15.
1: Mm-hmm. And does that account for the reason uh, care for infants is more expensive and that it gets cheaper as the kids get older?
0: Yes that's exactly the reason mm-hmm. and then that caller, I under I completely understand that frustration for us um, I agree with Candace as well um, We have been able to increase our pay rates for our staff because we were increasing tuition. At the same time, insurance costs are going up and food costs are going up and rent is going up and all of the other expenses that go along with it. So there's really the the margin hasn't changed, Mm -hmm. even though things cost more and we're able to pay more. That margin is still very slim, and so... You know, like Candace is experiencing, you finally get to a point where you have to decide, can I keep my doors
1: open? Mm-hmm. Now, we got a, a tweet from Mary who said, until I got pregnant, I had no idea how hard it is to find child care, especially for infants. This is an equality issue and a workforce issue with impacts ranging, ranging far beyond the family looking for childcare." We also had Jenna Neal of Afton who writes in uh, about her experience, and she says, We technically have care for both of our kids at this point. Our oldest is four years old and has been at a a center since they were seven months old. Our youngest is supposed to start daycare at the end of May. We recently found out that there has been a nearly 14% tuition increase in the baby room. We expected an increase, but not that much. Shortly after that, through the grapevine, I learned that drastic changes were being made to staff benefits, and because of those changes, four teachers quit. Parents are not getting information or answers from the center's leadership, and decision makers uh, are panicking about whether or not we'll have uh, care for our kids. I don't have a backup plan in place because we've been happy at this center And we had no reason to think we'd need a backup plan. Um, And then she adds, there are nine to 12 months uh, longer or longer waiting lists at the centers we'd feel comfortable sending our kids. So what happens if our center shuts down completely or if they shut down the baby room? Um, I'm not sure. My best option at this point is to quit my job to take care of the kids until my oldest starts kindergarten in 2024 which also gives us time to get on wait lists at other facilities for our youngest to be able to start in 9 to 12 months. So, you know, there's a lot of information there. But for for you hearing these, um, Kristen and Candice, uh, what parts of it sort of resonate with what you have heard your families having to deal with because of the shortages that you you're facing at your center's? Yeah. Um,
0: so I um, I completely um, understand where that family is coming from, and that is very common uh, right now at our locations. The um, we are not able to offer any availability until maybe January of 2024, and that's not even a guarantee um, because we just don't know what the staffing is going to look like at that time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Also. Um, what we've experienced over the last few years is that our center fills up with children, uh, which is amazing, and then those families are kind of our repeat customers. So when their children get a little bit older, they are expecting another child. And so our current enrollment continues to fill up our infant room, so we very rarely have an opening for anyone outside of our current currently enrolled families.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. So, And I know that that's frustrating when families call us, and, you know, hopefully they've heard good things about us and they would love to get in, but then we have to constantly tell them, no, we're not going to have any any openings. Mm -hmm. And um, in order to create more space, we need to hire more people and, you know, even perhaps um, add different classrooms, which that depends on the facility, if that's even... If that's even an
1: option. Right. We're speaking with Kristen Skibo, who's executive director of Faith Academy, as well as with Candice King, who's the owner of Beginning Steps Child Care and Learning Center. Candice, what do you you make of um, what Kristen has just shared and what we'd heard from our callers?
5: Uh, Well, my center is really small. So when, when when I gave out my letter to my parents that I was closing, I assured them that I would help in any way with the resources of other centers that I've worked closely with their directors. Um, and I know it's scary to even have to think that your daycare center that you've been at for a while may be closing mm-hmm. or they won't be able to take your new child. But I just try to reassure them that this person that I'm referring you to, hopefully they have a spot, and if they do, I wouldn't refer them to anyone that I wouldn't send my own child to. So I try to help out in that way. Um, But I also did deal with, with callers dealt with, um, when I lost staff, I had to stop taking infants. Mm. And I had some of my parents that were already enrolled here that were pregnant. But I had to do it because I had two workers leave out when I had four infants in my infant room and 15 toddlers. Mm-hmm. I was left by myself.
1: So it really is, so it's staffing, staff. it's not a matter of heart.
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And Justine is calling from Clayton. Just, Justine, welcome to St. Louis on the Air.
6: Hi. Hi, thanks for having me, longtime listener, first-time caller.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: I work for a very large employer who offers a benefit to employees, which some would say is a benefit to the employer, called backup care. And lots of places do this. Starbucks does this. And what happens is when my child cannot, for whatever reason, go to the regular child care provider that I am lucky enough to have found or school, they will send a background checked, vetted child care giver to my home to take care of the child in my home or I can take the child to center-based care, assuming the center has opening spots. Mm -hmm. Last year we had a lot of problems because, and it continues this year, because even the backup care could not find enough people. And I would, the morning of when I'm having this quote unquote emergency situation, I would not be able to, backup care would call and say, we can't fulfill your reservation. This year, the employer successfully negotiated that it would include paying me back for hiring someone of my choosing. And Mm -hmm. so that's been really helpful because there might be somebody I trust who may not make the vetting process who could still come to my home and help me out.
1: Mm -hmm. So essentially, the issue is that you are offered some assistance by your employer, but that assistance doesn't go where it needs to because there's just not enough people.
6: Yes, that okay. can happen, absolutely. And so they negotiated an additional service through the backup care company
1: mm-hmm.
6: to allow a little more flexibility.
1: And that sounds like a, thank you so much for, for calling. It sounds like a situation that many people don't have the, the luxury of enjoying. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure to what extent there are, are listeners out there who also have that kind of access. Um, now to the point about, um, childcare centers and infants in particular. Yesterday, our producer spoke with Nicole Mazanek, an in-home daycare provider and birth doula who's worked in early childhood development for 16 years. Nicole mentioned that while centers can take infants as early as six weeks, and it's her job to watch infants as young as that age, she recognizes that it's often better for infants to be with their parents when they're that young.
7: The reality is the United States kind of forgets about postpartum at week six, um, whereas other countries really respect the fact that postpartum is a full year, and a lot happens in that full year, um, both with the parents and with the infant developing. Um, and so we kind of, we're good about the six weeks in our community, not so much our government, but we're good in our community about the six weeks and really respecting that, but six weeks is actually not a lot of time at all. Um Six weeks is just a month and a half, and that's kind of the bare minimum that most people can get by with um, getting off. And so we are seeing more companies also taking the brunt of it and giving more leave to the, to um, their employers or their employees. But um, it's really, it's also just not enough, you know, and it's not their responsibility either. Um, and that's tricky too, you know, um, but um, government should definitely, you know, be putting more things in place to make that Transition a lot easier.
1: Now, there's a lot to unpack. There, we could have an entire discussion—a discussion that is on infant care. But uh, Candice and uh, Kristen, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the role of the federal government um, and what it should be doing particularly for early childhood, both in terms of making sure parents have enough time with their infants before being called back into work, but also in terms of making sure that our childcare centers and systems don't collapse. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Kristen?
0: So we have been, um, in the state of Missouri, the government has made several grants available for um, retention purposes and to come alongside child care centers to help us keep our doors open. And that has been um, helpful, however, there's also some issues with that. For example, not every child care provider or center qualifies for those grants that are available. I just read a statistic today that the newest grant that is available right now, only 34 percent of providers that are eligible have applied for it.
5: So there's money
0: out there available to to help specifically for the challenges that we're facing. as far as what should the government do to support families so that maybe they don't need to bring their children um, into childcare as early as six weeks. I think that's more of an employer uh, question, maybe than a government question. I think employers can recognize that they will have better performance from their employees if they give them adequate time with their infants. In our experience, right now, when we are able to enroll infants, on average, we're not seeing children until they are five or six months old start that safe academy, which I think is um, really healthy. Um, for both the parents and the child, because what ends up happening, if when an infant starts at age six weeks old, there's a lot of lost, um, work time that's going to happen because, um, you know, now we're in a group childcare setting, setting where germs are being shared and there's going to be frequent sickness, which means you're going to have to take off work more. So I think in the end, it is better for everyone for infants to start a little bit when they're a little bit older. Right. Um. But, again, I think that that responsibility lies in the hands of the employer.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, Candice, in our final minute, what do you see as solutions to the problems child care centers are facing? And briefly, what are your plans after June 2nd?
5: Um, I, I think, like Kristen said, there are grants out there, and I did receive some earlier when they first came out, and they did help. I think... I think it's kind of almost, this is something the government should have helped us with a long time ago mm-hmm. because we offer so much to the children that we care for and we help the parents out so much. It's like we just now became important as providers. Mm-hmm.
1: And I've you, always
5: felt important, but we I don't think we ever felt like other people thought we were that important.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, what do you plan after June 2nd?
5: Well, I want to still stay in the community, do like coke drives and turkey drives, back to school drives. I think after I take a little break, I may open my doors back up and do like summer camp or spring break camps or winter break camps because I do, I love what I do. I just had to take a step back because of the staffing and how it was weighing in on me and my one staff that I do have. Right. It would be great if I had three or four, mm-hmm. but it was just me and one, one other worker.
1: Yeah. Candace King is owner of Beginning Steps Child Care and Learning Center, and Kristen Skibo is the uh, Faith Academy Executive Director. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode was produced by Emily Woodburn.
3: Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr.
4: Our executive producer
3: is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio.
4: Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group.